0: Hey, while they're, while they're heading back after they get their um, sermon candy, uh, tonight, you'll notice on the, on the cross up here, it's still, it's still purple. Uh, that is the color of Advent uh, at Christmas that will switch to white, and not that many people track that stuff anymore, but we want you to know that even though this is Christmas Eve, this is the fourth Sunday in Advent. It's unusual this year because the fourth Sunday in Advent lands on christmas, so we're not we're not overly legalistic about it You'll notice that we've been singing Christmas music, but uh, we do tonight It will be the breakaway version of a Christmas celebration There'll be a different message tonight and then tomorrow morning uh, at nine thirty we will have the uh, daybreak version of a Christmas service uh, a couple of years ago we 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 kind of asked the congregation, what about those holidays? What about Christmas in particular? Should we have a worship service on that morning, no matter what day of the week it lands on? And not everyone, but enough said yes. So here's the thing from a, from a, from a pastor's perspective, some people will only go to church on Christmas. And there's only, as far as I know, there's only one other church in all of Zealand that has worship on Christmas morning. So, I mean, to be perfectly frank about it, I want a shot at them. I want a chance to tell them who Jesus is, why he loves them, and why it is that we meet for worship. So we're praying and hoping that some people will come tonight and some will come tomorrow that don't normally darken the door of a church. So if you're watching us online and you're wondering when the best chance might be, Christmas is not only a great excuse, it's a great opportunity to come and check out the people of God, hear the Christmas story, and decide for yourself if this is something God wants you to continue to investigate. So welcome. Uh, We're glad we're able to have this kind of, we have this technology to be able to to meet you where you are. Uh, Usually there's two to 400 people per week that join us online. So allow me to offer a prayer, and then we'll get started on our fourth Sunday in Advent, this loving relationship with God. Almighty God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask you something simple. It sounds simple to us, but it's, it takes a miraculous work of you to do it. Lord, we ask that you speak to your people today. Lord, I don't want my words for your people. I want your words for us. So Lord, as you speak to them, speak to me. I pray for the candor, the demeanor, the cadence, the spirit to speak your words to your people. And Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. And if there's something, Lord, I plan to say, and I know you know, I'm struggling with, with sharing one thing this morning because my, my mother's here, um, I just want your wisdom to know whether to move forward with that or the other illustration that I have in mind. So I'll trust that you will show me that as we approach it. Lord, I want to speak what you want to your people today. And I think they want to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I know that's, that's an awkward thing to pray, but um, I'm going to talk a little bit, possibly talk later in the message about my relationship with my dad, and um, my mom has her own relationship with my dad, and I don't want to make her uncomfortable. So I do have a, a, a plan B if if my heart tells me that's not the way to go. So... Look, we're in the fourth Sunday in Advent. For those of you who are guests today or you haven't been with us all all along, our Advent themes have been uh, the return to Shalom. It's the already not yet, the, the idea that God's kingdom has been established in the person of Christ, but not yet are all things made new. That's Advent. We know that Jesus has come already, but we look forward. We pretend in a way that he hasn't come yet. So we look forward to the birth of Christ. And the way we do it, we practice that, we do that, we remember that, we relive that, but we also are anticipating his return. He came as the lamb, but he returns as the lion of Judah. So as Christians pretend, or that's not the right word, but there, this idea of reliving the anticipation of the coming of Christ at his birth, we're also reliving or living for the first time the anticipation of his return. What we know is that Jesus came to put things right, what we made wrong in the garden, and Adam and Eve had a walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship with the God of the universe. That was Shalom relationship. So they could walk in the cool of the day. They could walk with God, talk with God. They knew God. God knew them. They loved him, and he loved them. And we blew it. And that's, that's if you want to get a little bit more on that, go back to, go back first Sunday in Advent. Uh, Nate did a really good job talking about that Genesis passage. Today, we're not going to use a gospel story, uh, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and we're not going to use an Old Testament narrative. We're going to look at probably the the second or third most well-known scripture passage in all of of Christianity, and even those who who aren't Christian know this passage pretty well. There are three, and you know this from the Wedding Crashers, there are three uh, primary texts that are picked at people's weddings. There's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven if they want a short one. For, God, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. There's Colossians chapter 3 that starts off with, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness. Then at the end it says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then there's the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, known as the love chapter. Love is patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. We're going to talk about that today. But I want to I want to caution you a couple, on a couple of things. I want to ask you the favor to do yourself the kindness of hearing this passage again as if it's for the first time. I want you to know that while it's great at weddings, because at weddings we have that if you're a dude, you have that boy or that girl stomach. You know, when when Lynn walked down the aisle at the church that we got married, it's like that. Oh, she's about to marry me. She's stuck. She has no idea what she's signing up for. But think about it. Think about it. this is when we we we, we our, our culture's kind of turn love into to feelings, and, and that's okay. I understand it. But um, just to take you back a moment, and those of you who aren't yet dating, um, I, I'll, I'll preview this for you a little bit. You're at a movie first date with a with, with a if you're you know with me it would be with a girl that I really really like, and and you're sitting at the movie, and it's one of the rom com. You know you know how it is, and and you're not sure if you should try to reach over and hold her hand or if you could stretch and put your arm around, you know, something like that. But there's that moment, and you might not have had this, but I know it, it's true of me, that then you, you kind of scooch in your seat and, you're, and, you're, and your leg knocks up against her, her knee and, and she doesn't slap you. So you leave it there uncomfortably for the next hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> Why? Because you're just like, oh, yeah, there's something there. That's not love. There's a piece of that. And I still get girl stomach every now and then. Hopefully, Lynn still still gets boy stomach every now and then. Every now and then, you just go, oh, oh, you just feel it. But Paul did not write this passage to the to the people of Corinth about marriage. He wrote it about how God loves us and about how we are to not only love God but to love one another. And the people of Corinth uh, are very similar. The, Corinth was very similar to what we what we know as San Francisco today. Multicultural, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, multi religious, multi ethnic, every lifestyle known to man is represented there. And the Christians in Corinth had all these opportunities to live certain ways, and Paul is trying to communicate to them this matters most. And so it's not for wedding, it's for behavior, it's not for feeling, it's for acting. We know who. We, Whose we are by how we behave This is how God behaves Toward us and it's how God Wants us to behave toward him It's how God behaves toward others And it's how God wants us to behave toward others So a walking, talking Knowing and loving Relationship with the God of the universe He loves us, we love him He loves others, we love others So I'm going to read it but try your best To hear it As if it's for the first time If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move a mountain or that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now I'm going to, I'm going to restate those because they're so familiar. We can become so familiar. We stop listening to them. If I can speak every known language and the language of the heavenlies, but I don't have love, I'm just making a lot of noise. And if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can speak the very words of God to his people at any given time, if I know all the mysteries of the heavens, of the earth, and everything that has been made, and if I have all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can literally say to a mountain, get up and jump into the sea, and I have not love... I get nothing. And if I give every single penny I have, every piece of property I have, if I give that away to the poor, and I am willing and and have the opportunity to martyr myself for the kingdom. So if someone says deny Christ or die, nope, boom. If that happens to me, and I have not love, I get nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. Another way of saying rude here is irritable, frustrated. Love's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the next three words are love never fails. Now, two of those you might be able to say are emotional. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. All the rest of them have to do with how we behave. Now, we're going to concentrate on two of them. But just to give you an example, love is patient. Patient. You ever had to be patient? Is that a positive emotional feeling? When you're stuck, when, if you have shopping to do tonight, and the line, and you go, oh, this is the line. There's only 18 people there. I'm going to go. I'm going to stand in line. And they're writing checks, and it doesn't go through the little thing very well. And then someone else, their, their, their bank card gets, and you're like, love is patient. That's why I never pray for Patience. If I pray for patience, I'm, I already know what it is, and I'm asking God to give me circumstances within which I must practice patience. <laughs> Never pray for patience. <laughs> Not a feeling. It's a behavior. It's an act of my will. So we're going we're to talk about two of these. Always trusts. Love always trusts. Now, this is tough in our culture. This is tough in Western Michigan. And folks, I've lived here... 1972, is that when we moved to Michigan? 1974, okay. So, a long time. Now, a couple of years we had in, in, Lynn and I had in Chicago, Chicago area, three years. But we have lived here now in Holland, north side of Holland or Zealand since 1991. I am as Midwest as they, I love to claim I'm Southern, but I'm as Midwest as they come. I am USDA, Midwestern beef, AAA. If I were to go to France, they would immediately say, oh, I don't belong there. I love this place. I live here. My family grew up here and my friends are here. So when I say this, I'm saying this because it's something we know, but we might not articulate. We have a really hard time, especially in Western Michigan, especially within the church, trusting as love. Think about it this way. In the, the former church where I, where I served before, um, and I'll just use his name, his name's Terry, won't use his last name. We, had a, we were going to have some people give testimony. We're going to have people show up uh, and come up and take a mic and tell their story. And, and sometimes people get intimidated by that. We will be asking some of you this over the next year to, to do that. Um, and, and you can start coming up with your excuses now. Uh, I know it's kind of scary. Uh, and, and, you know, this guy had one of those. He had, he had three, I believe if I remember right, three misdemeanors and two felonies before he was 17 years old. And he's come to Christ, his life has transformed, he had a, a good relationship with his, with his wife, and he's being a good father, and he had an ex-wife, and he's, he's mending that relationship in such a way that they can, they can coexist and co-parent, and we asked him, man, that'd be a great story, and, and he agreed, and then he talked to his wife, and she said, no, can't do it. Because she'd grown up in, a, in, in Western Michigan in a, in a denomination similar to ours, and, and it was a very conservative church. And I'm not saying that conservative is bad in any way, but she, she said no, because if you tell your story, that's the only thing anyone's ever going to remember that you were a felon, that you were a, a, a hood, that you were a thug. They won't see what God has done. They'll only remember that you're not trustworthy. They'll only remember that, that, that you were once, you had such character flaws that you were willing to do these terrible things. And so she denied her husband the opportunity because they couldn't trust Christians in our culture. And that's sad. I'll tell you a story. Um, to give you an example and something to kind of lighten it up for a second. Four guys at, around a campfire, they're camping overnight, you know, staying overnight, and they're close friends. there are four guys around a campfire, and one guy, you know, I don't know if they've had a couple of adult beverages or not, but someone, you know, I love you, man. No, that didn't kick in, but one guy goes, you know, they're all believers, so it's like, hey, why don't we why don't we, so that we know that we're tight? Why don't we each share our deepest, darkest sin or struggle? He goes, Do you get the ball rolling, I'll start. The guy goes, personally, I have this real, I have this real struggle, I have this real hard time um, keeping my eyes focused on women's eyes. I want to see, I want to see, I want to notice. And even when my wife knows it and, and, and I struggle with it, and it really it hurts her and it makes her feel uncomfortable, it makes her feel insecure, and I don't want to be this way. But even in a restaurant, I mean, there's this radar that guys have that a woman walks into a restaurant wearing really tight clothing or revealing clothing, and, and every guy in the room just knows it. And it's so hard for me not to turn and look and see. So I guess if I had to say what my struggle is, this guy says, It's lust. The next guy going, well, he broke the, kind of broke the vulnerability level. I'll, I'll, I'm greedy. He goes, I, I, I look generous, I give money away, but I give money away in such a way that people know that I have trustworthy character so they'll do business with me so I'll make more money. Everything I do, I try to do financially so that it benefits me. I'm willing to short someone else for my own benefit. I'm greedy. Next guy, I guess it's anger. I mean, even when I'm driving down the road, and it can be no one else on the road. It's a four-lane interstate, and I'm, and I'm on, the, on the two going this way. And, and I'd be going, okay, I mean, 70-mile-an-hour speed limit, 9, you're fine, 10, you're mine, um, 79 miles an hour. And some guy creeps up on me, and he's going to pass me? Oh, no, he's not. So I just ease into it and I try to get ahead of him, let him know, and I'm going to keep speeding up until he comes in behind me. But if he works his way around me, I'm going to I'm going to figure out a way somehow some way before he gets off this before he gets off the interstate, I'm going to cut him off. I'm going to slow down and frustrate the tar out of him. And that's just the small stuff. I mean, you should see the way I talk to my children. You should see the way I interact with my wife and how I fly off the handle in the smallest little thing. I guess it's not, it's, not, it's not anger. It's rage. It's right underneath the surface. And it's like a, a, this, this, this coat of oil on the top. And if that bubble bursts, it's just going to splatter all over everything. So, yeah, rage. The fourth guy, they all turn to him. They've all broken the vulnerability level. they told the whole truth. And he goes, well, I guess if I had to be honest, my, my struggle is gossip. There's truth in it though, isn't there? See, I believe this isn't the Webster's Dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of trust, but I believe that trust is best described from a biblical perspective as giving someone something they can hurt you with and believing they won't. Giving someone something they can hurt you with and believing that they won't. God, always trustworthy. But do you know what else This passage, Christ is patient. Christ is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Christ does not delight in evil, but but rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Jesus never fails. You know that God trusts you? God trusts you. He gives you something you can harm him with and he believes because of the work in you that he's doing that you won't harm him. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We know that as the third commandment that I will not take the Lord's name in vain. See, every time I break a promise, every time I act greedily, every time I'm self-centered or it's self-interest, every time I'm envious, every time I'm lustful, every time I'm angry, I'm misrepresenting or misusing the name of Christ. Anyone that's ever been baptized bears his name. And so if I bear his name, he trusts me to represent him well. So if I love God, If I'm loved by God, he trusts me. And if I love God, I'm going to be trustworthy. But folks, are we? It's not an accusation. It's a question. Am I, are you trustworthy? Love always protects, always trusts, always perseveres love never fails but sometimes people do second one that we're going to highlight today is love keeps no record of wrongs we've already talked about this this is one of those things that you will hear from me a couple of times a year a full sermon on forgiveness on keeping no record of wrongs because it's been such a huge learning curve in my own life and just two weeks ago when we talked about that talking relationship, that prayer relationship, when Jesus tells us to pray like this, forgive, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then later, and he, he's got a commentary on, not on the rest of the Lord's Prayer, but on that one. He says, for if, you're, if you forgive your brother or sister when he sins against you, my heavenly father will forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive your brother or sister when he or she sins against you, neither will my heavenly father forgive you yours. It's the only thing conditional in all of Christianity. Why? Love keeps no record of wrongs. There's another way of translating this. Love is not suspicious. Think of it. If you've been harmed by someone if someone has wronged you deeply once, and, and you're, you're once bitten, twice shy, you know? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's very deep in our culture. If someone hurts you once, and you keep a record of it. Anytime they do something to you again, you're going to weigh it, against that list of wrongs. So it creates in me a suspicious set of eyes and a suspicious heart toward another. Here's what I mean. Many of you have heard bits and pieces of my story of my dad. I'm not going to get into all this. And Daddy, if you're watching, you know we're good. You know I love you. You know I respect you. This is about me and my struggle, not about you. Um, and I just want to make sure I don't want to trigger you. He does watch sometimes on the live stream. Um... I spent 30 years angry with my father, 30 years holding a list of wrongs against him. And as each year went by, more things got added to that list. And every time I interacted with him, I used to have to pop Rolades like they were, or toms like they were candy. I had, I, I had vowed in my head that my dad would never, never take care of my children. It, had, it got that bad. The grudge that I was holding was that deep. And it turns out over time that I recognized that he did one thing really bad. He left my mom, he left me, and he left my brothers. And that's a big deal. Life-changing, life-altering, heart-scarring thing. But I watched his motives. I watched what he did, and and I even wrote a book so that my children would know why I'm so messed up. I wrote a book detailing all the wounds that I had incurred, not so that I was holding a record against him, but showing at the end, and I'm not trying to sell my book. In fact, I don't sell books. It's cost me a lot of money to hand those over to people. But what I recognize is that big sin against my mom, against me, and against my brothers built up over time so that he couldn't do anything without it wounding me. Why? I had a long record of wrongs. And so it was impossible for me to see anything that he did as pure of heart or motive. Because I had this list of wrongs, he hurt me and hurt me and hurt me. It turns out, though, he didn't do any of those things. I thought that he did. So I wrote this book, And I sent him a copy the day, the day I had it and it was good. I sent him a copy and I had a friend of his who who was a friend of mine who's his age and had the same kind of cancer, similar background story, all that kind of stuff. He was going to be down in the Tampa area where my dad lives. And I said, would you call him? He's going to get the book on this day. Would you call him and just check and make sure he's okay? And if he needs to vent just because this guy had read the, the manuscript and, and he said, sure. I sent him this book and it turns out I sent it three doors down. So some random family got this book about from someone they don't even know. And so my, my dad's friend, my friend, Tom called and said, Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Why? Um, well, what do you think of Trent's book? What book? I got that phone call. I'm just torn up inside. And so I quick email him a, an electronic manuscript. My dad reads very quickly. And, and three hours later, he calls. How you doing? I'm neuro, I mean, I'm... He goes, there's a couple things that I would, I think the facts are a little different. I said, look, first three words in the book are as I remember it. You tell yourself the same story over and over and over. It becomes true whether that was the fact or not. Understood. I go, what's the second thing? I have no idea how important I was. Did you hear that? That sounds arrogant. But what he's saying is he had no idea that his son wanted so desperately to have his father's love that he turned everything around to communicate to his abandoned, wounded son that his dad didn't love him. That's on me. And how did it happen? I was suspicious. I had a record of wrongs. What if the Lord were suspicious? What if he kept a record of wrongs with you? How would you fare? See, we're supposed to have a walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship with the God of the universe. And he tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs and love always trusts. So what if God... Wasn't patient, wasn't kind, did envy, did boast, was not, is proud. What if God were rude? What if he were self-seeking? What if he were easily angered? What if he kept a record of wrongs? What if he delighted in evil but would not rejoice in the truth? What if he didn't protect, didn't trust, didn't hope, didn't persevere? What if God always failed? You would not worship a God like that. God remembers your sins no more. So that when you come to him and you say, oh man, I'm just this anger thing or this lust thing or this whatever else thing, the greed thing or whatever else it might be. Lord, and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about over there. Let's deal with right now. Why? Because with God, everything is brought up for the last time. And if we're God's children much loved by God, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, then we have to, as far as it depends on us, we have to be willing to keep no record of wrongs and to trust the motive of other people. It's going to hurt, and people are going to fail, and so are you. But either God knows better than we do, or he's not God. So, how I behave tells me who I belong to. If I'm not patient and I'm not kind and I do envy and I do boast and I am proud and I am rude and I keep that list of wrongs done against me, then I do not belong to the one who says that love is none of those things. So, I'm gonna ask you today. On the day before we celebrate God entering creation and becoming a creature, I'm going to ask you to remember, to ask yourself one thing and remember something else. We'll start with what to remember first. See, he doesn't hold the list against you, the record of wrongs, because he chooses not to pin it to you, but he pinned it to Christ. And if he pinned your stuff to Christ, he also pinned the stuff of the person that hurts you to Christ. Christ. And if I choose to hold against someone what Jesus paid for, then what Jesus paid for for me, I nullify. Remember that. It's the only conditional thing in Christianity. And here's the thing I'd like you to ask yourself. Search your heart and ask God, where are you being untrusting and where are you being suspicious of someone else's motive? it cost me three decades of a relationship with my dad. And I pray to God that you don't lose another moment, another Christmas, another Thanksgiving, another birthday, another holiday, another phone call, because you're keeping a record of wrongs. So ask God if you can't see it yourself, if you find yourself gritting your teeth even thinking about it. Ask God with mercy to show you the root. Confess it. That's telling God what He already knows. You can't hide from Him, right? We talked about that last week. Repent of it. Walk back to God. Ask forgiveness. And then watch. Receive forgiveness. That means that it's been brought up for the last time. And that as far as it depends on you, make sure that in all of your relationships, Whatever happens, it happens for the last time. It's, the offenses are gone like the morning mist. Remember their sins no more. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you do not hold a record of wrongs, that you do not look at us with a suspicious eyes. Thank you that you trust us with your good name. We pray that you give us the courage to use that name wisely, to give glory to you in all things. We trust, too, that you give us the strength of character to choose when someone hurts us, when it gets dealt with, that it's been brought up for the last time. Because, Lord, that means that if something else happens with that person, it's being brought up for the first time, just like you treat us. Remind us, Lord, that we are—we belong to the one we behave like. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, and for Christ's glory, we pray. Amen. The simplicity of love—it's deceptive, or it adds to the ambiguity. Um, <laughs> It's deceptive because it seems like such a simple thing and it's always what we feel, but it is hard, especially to love in Christ and to love as Christ loved. But if you want a God who's petty, then be petty. If you want a God who forgives, then forgive because how you behave tells you whose you are. Hopefully we'll see you tonight or tomorrow morning. The Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.